I had a, had a few people tell me that uh, I was just having a hard time waking up this morning. Did the worship wake you up this morning? I hope it did. It woke me up. I was one of those people. I told myself I was having a hard time waking up this morning. When you wake up to that rolling thunder, it just kind of makes you want to stay in bed, doesn't it? But uh, aren't you glad you're here? You made the choice to come and be a part of this great service, this great time of worship. Praise God. Praise God. Well, uh, what, did we, what did we celebrate a couple weeks ago? Yeah, resurrection, Easter, right? Are we done? We're not done, right? We better not be done. Uh, you know, that's not just a one day of the week, uh, one day of the year thing, is it? It can't be. So we're going to talk, talk about that a little more today. We're going to talk a little more about that day in which Jesus, Jesus arose. And so um, after all, the, the resurrection was a common theme for the early church. I mean, once Jesus arose and and appeared to the disciples and to the, the others, and it, it became something that they talked about constantly. And every time they met, every time they the, the resurrection was a big part of what they were talking about and what they were, uh, you know, encouraging each other with and all of that. And so uh, when, when we say that it's central in the early church, that it was central to everything that they were doing, can we say that it is also central to the church still today? It's fair, isn't it? I hope so. So in 2022, uh, here at First Church, we're going to keep the theme of the resurrection going. And, uh, you know, he, he is risen. See, you, you did it better on Easter. I, I caught you off guard, didn't I? You guys were all ready and prepared on Easter, and now you weren't so much ready. And so you maybe you'll get another chance at that uh, before, before we're done here today. But, um, you know, I should be able to say that in October. And you guys ought to be able to be just as excited and as enthusiastic to, you know, reverberate that, you know, he is risen indeed. You ought to be able to do that just as much in the, in the middle of, of winter. <laughs> Aren't you glad we're done with winter? Well, I hope so. I hope so. Um, today we're going to take a look at two men who had the opportunity to, to walk with Jesus on that day, on that day in which he arose. We're going to talk about these two men that had the opportunity to walk alongside of him and uh, we know it as uh, they were walking on the road to Emmaus. And so we're going to talk about this historical account, this historical account of these two men that uh, were walking with the resurrected Jesus. And as they walked with the resurrected Jesus and as they interacted with Jesus, uh, they saw Jesus with their own two eyes. And, uh, they, were, and they were thrilled in their heart with what they experienced that day. And I, I think and I, and I pray and I hope that we will also be uh, thrilled with the experience of seeing Jesus. Um, we're going to read scripture. Uh, we're going to read that portion of scripture. It's found in the book of Luke, chapter 24. 
and starting in verse 13. And I'm going to ask, this is, this is lengthy, uh, but it's going to help you wake up because, you know, we're drowsy here today. So I'm going to ask if you'll stand with me as we read through this portion of Scripture together. And it's lengthy, uh, but it is really good. It is really good. So it says, Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things? He asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all of this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. And they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he had made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Mm. Wow. Amen. Thank you for standing with me. You may be seated. Well, I noticed, first of all, it says that same day. So we know this happened on the day in which Jesus arose. And so that was a very eventful day, wasn't it? It was. Uh, these two men were walking and discussing, even arguing about what they had seen and what they had experienced. They are extremely, you can tell by the interaction, they are extremely downhearted, even to the point that when they tell Jesus what had happened, 
they stopped walking. And, and I think that's significant. In fact, I'd like to, to read that verse 17 again. Uh, it says, uh, then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. Now, I, I, I think that this is very significant for us. And the reason that I feel like it's significant is, you know, it says that they stopped walking. And isn't it true that sometimes we get so discouraged, so overwhelmed, so full of grief, so uh, burdened by the trouble of life that we stop walking? Now, I'm not talking about in the literal sense, but in the, the, the sense that we stop living, we stop going on, we, st- we, we, uh, we just feel like we just can't go on any further, and we can't keep doing this. And I've, uh, I've even heard people say those, those words, I just don't know how I can go on. Have you heard those words before? And I feel like we're immobilized by our, our depression. We're immobilized by our grief. We're immobilized by our sorrow. And, and you know, a couple of weeks ago, I shared a little bit about, about my mom, about my mother. And, uh, and I shared some things with you. But, but I can tell you that um, I, I never felt exactly like what I'm talking about. I, I never said the words, when mom passed, I never said the words, that I don't know how I can go on. I never said that. But there were portions of my life that I really struggled with. And as a pastor, it was, it was difficult because as a pastor, uh, I, was, <laughs> I was typically involved in a lot of funeral settings. And uh, I would say for the first several months after mom passed, it was really difficult for me to go into a funeral setting and not be consumed and, and just really be thinking about my mom <laughs> instead of those who were there and those who were hurting because they lost someone. And it, and it kind of felt like I was immobilized. It kind of made me feel like it, it was, it was, I couldn't go forward. I couldn't go on. And, and it was difficult for me. Sometimes life brings us to a screeching halt. And, and when those things happen, when these, when these type of things happen, it's difficult to, uh, to sometimes get up in the morning, right? These two uh, that were walking on the road to Emmaus were so demoralized that it says in the scriptures that as they began to explain to Jesus what was going on, they stopped because they were so discouraged. And they stopped, and why did they stop? They stopped to pour their heart out to Jesus. And I think that's interesting. I, I think that's, that's very interesting for us because I want to tell you this morning that if you're being brought to a screeching halt today by the circumstances that you're in in life, that it, it is time to use that time to stop and pour your heart out to Jesus. That's the... That's the proper thing to do. That's the right thing to do. If you're being brought to that screeching halt because of things that are taking place in your life, use that time to pour your heart out to Jesus and give it all to him. He wants to hear your heart. Um, 
it's interesting because when, when we begin to look at the scripture and see what happens there, uh, we see that Jesus cares about what's going on because it says that Jesus' reaction to them when they said, haven't you heard about all these things? Jesus said, what things? How many of us know Jesus knew exactly what things? He didn't need them to tell him what things. He knew all about it. He knew more about it than they knew about it. And yet he said, what things? And why would Jesus do that? Because he wanted them to share with him. And can I, can I tell you this morning that he wants, he wants us to share with him, even though he knows what's going on in our life, even though he knows what's troubling us, what's hurting us, what has us downhearted, what has us discouraged. Jesus wants us to share with him. He wants us to pour our heart out to him because he cares. He truly cares what's happening in our life. So Cleopas and his friend, they told Jesus what was on their mind, what was consuming them. Now, what is interesting is, and you can tell, uh, you can tell by this portion of Scripture, and I said this two weeks ago on, on Easter Sunday, that the emptiness of the tomb is not what should excite us. <laughs> it's that Jesus was alive, right? You can tell by this that they weren't really excited about the emptiness of the tomb, right? Because they said that some of the women had gone to the tomb and they had found it empty and they had even heard that the, the angels saw, said that he's alive. But all they really had at that point was the emptiness of the tomb. And empty things do not give us what we need, right? And so... Uh, the empty tomb didn't bring joy. The empty tomb didn't bring hope. The empty tomb didn't fulfill the promises that Jesus made. Okay? The only thing that would bring hope, bring peace, bring joy, and encourage and strengthen faith was Jesus being alive. Right? That's the only thing that would do that. And so, so when we began to, to understand that, the fact is, you can tell it by the way these two men spoke to Jesus, they didn't expect Jesus to be standing right in front of them. They didn't expect that. Their grief was enormous because they believed Jesus was still dead. They had been told that he was alive, but their grief shows that they believed that he was still dead. They lacked faith because their circumstances had stolen away their faith. And, and this is so true. This is so true of us today. When we are in the middle of circumstances that are difficult, and when I say difficult, I mean really difficult. I mean like really faith-challenging. When we're in the middle of those kinds of circumstances, it is something that challenges our faith. It challenges what we believe. It challenges the things that we really, at uh, points in times when we're not in the bad circumstances, we know. We know by a shadow of a doubt, we know it, we know it, we know it. But then all of a sudden we're in the middle of really tough circumstances and what we know that we knew that we know, we knew we know, you know, all that. All of a sudden, we're not sure. 
And so their circumstances had stolen away their faith. Jesus was right in front of them. But their lack of faith, because of the circumstances, they couldn't see him. And sometimes when we're in bad circumstances, we can't see Jesus. But he's right there. He's right there with us. We can't see him. That's interesting because William Barclay, uh, in talking about this portion of Scripture, said that he speculates that they couldn't tell it was Jesus because Emmaus was west of Jerusalem and they were walking into a sunset and they couldn't see him, his face because of the sun. That is like pure speculation. It makes so much more sense that when, when we're in difficult circumstances, we have a hard time seeing Jesus. Because our faith's being challenged. So we can agree that sometimes our circumstances keeps us from seeing what we know is true. And as you continue to watch their interaction with Jesus, you, you begin to see other things. You see, they, they knew the prophets. These are Jew, two Jewish men, and they knew the prophets. Uh, as, as Jewish men, they would have been brought up to know the prophets. You know, they, they knew the, all the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, uh, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Haggai. They knew the prophets. They knew the prophets' teachings. They knew all those kind of things. They knew all of that. And yet when Jesus describes them, when he says this to them, he says that they were slow to believe all the prophets had spoken. Now, I have a saying that I use sometimes, all means all, and that's all all means, right? Right? <laughs> yeah. And so they, they were slow to believe all of what the prophets had spoken. They were cherry-picking what the prophets had spoken. They were... Choosing to believe this over here, but they're just kind of ignoring this over here. Now, that's important because when you begin to understand that, you begin to see that their hearts and their minds had embraced some of what they had heard and read about the Messiah, but not everything. Now, to explain that, it is a temptation to embrace the parts of Jesus that we like You know where I'm going, right? But not embrace the parts that we don't like. And so we're excited about the promises and the blessings and the grace and the love. All those things about Jesus that makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside, right? We're, we're, we're excited to embrace those things. We have a hard time embracing the trials and the suffering and the, uh, the sacrifice and the denying of oneself. You see, we really like to talk about Jesus um, embracing the leper 
sp- stopping and healing and, and, and interacting with the woman with the issue of blood, feeding the 5,000, uh, you know, doing all of these wonderful things. We love to talk about all of those things, but we don't like to talk about the fact that in, in, in one portion of Scripture, Jesus said, if you wish to come and follow me, Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Do you see what I'm saying? People enjoy cherry-picking the things they like and leaving alone the things that they don't. And this was what was going on with these two as Jesus was walking with them. They had known the prophets, they had heard the prophecies and all of that, but they were slow to believe all of what the prophets had spoken. So Jesus preaches to these two. He preaches to them. I mean, that's basically what it is. He, he preaches them a sermon. Now, I'll tell you what. I, I've been in church all my life. From the time I was weeks old, I've been in church. I was even in church during the pandemic because I'm a pastor, and so I was, <laughs> every Sunday, we'd go over to the church, and it'd be empty, and there would be nobody there, but I'd preach to a camera, and, you know, that's, that's what we were doing. You know, I, I've been in church all my life. I have heard so many sermons. I've been to camp meetings and conferences and church services, and I've heard sermons galore, and I've heard sermons that just knock my socks off. I heard, I've heard sermons that convicted me. I've heard sermons that inspired me. I have heard sermons that are wonderful and great. I mean, I I've heard some great sermons. I would trade it all to hear what Jesus spoke to them on the road to Emmaus. I would. That, would, that is the greatest sermon. I would have loved to have heard that because he spoke these words and he preached himself to these two. And he didn't use Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> he was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> But he used the Old Testament because that's what they had. He used the prophets. He used the prophets that he had just spoken about. And so I believe that he spoke to them from Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The Lord has punished him for uh, the iniquity of us all. He willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels, yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. Can you imagine Jesus telling these two these things from the book of Isaiah? And as they heard these things being spoken by Jesus and they began to put it all together, they began to think about what they had witnessed, what they had seen in Jerusalem just in the last few days, they began to understand understand Jesus was exactly what the prophets talked about and he went through exactly what the prophets said he would go through and I be I believe and actually it says this later on uh, later on when in I think verse 32 it says that their passion started to ignite within them they started getting excited they, they said what weren't our hearts filled with passion burn with excitement when he spoke the words to us on the road? Oh, man, that would have been so good. I believe that he spoke to them from Psalm 22. 
For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves. Isn't that fantastic? That these prophets spoke 700 years prior to Jesus setting his feet on the earth. And they said these things were going to take place. And it was exactly, it was exactly what took place. And I believe Jesus used a whole plethora of scriptures to help these two understand why he came from Genesis into Deuteronomy into Psalm and Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and Ezekiel and Zechariah. I believe he used a whole plethora of Old Testament scripture prophecy to help these two understand why he came, why he taught what he taught, why he lived the way that he lived and why he died. And in the midst of their anguish, they began to see meaning behind the horrific things that they had witnessed in Jerusalem. And as they began to see all of that and understand all of that, as they began to understand the reason why Jesus suffered, they began to understand the love of God and the grace of God and that it was for them. And they became really excited and really enthused and really passionate about what they were hearing and connecting the dots. And it brought meaning to their grief. Meaning to their grief. Now in verse 28, things began to take a, a turn for these two. Um, I love when they, when they see Jesus. I love when their eyes are open and they see Jesus. I love when we see Jesus. I think that's, that's fantastic. Uh, there's no greater moment in a person's life as when they see Jesus and they open their eyes and begin to understand and see Jesus and know Jesus. When you truly, when you truly see Jesus, it's life-changing, Right? And when you see Jesus, you want to share about Jesus. When you, when you see Jesus and you begin to understand what he has done in your life and all that he went through for you and the fact that he lives within you, when you begin to see that and understand, you want to share that with other people. That's the response of these two. They, they had just journeyed seven... Folks, we're talking about on foot, all right? Seven miles. They had just journeyed seven miles to Emmaus. And when they got there and they realized who Jesus was, they hoofed it back to Jerusalem seven more miles so they could tell people. They went, like, out of their way. They, they would do whatever they could to tell others about Jesus. Are we doing what we can? Are we going out of our way? Are we that passionate about sharing Jesus with people around us? I, I, we need to be. I hope we are. But, but before, we get to that, <laughs> before we get to that, I want to read 28 and 29 just to, just to kind of help you see something here that I think is great. Um, it says 20, in 28 and 29, they came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression, Jesus gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. 
So he went in to stay with them. So Jesus gave the impression he was going to continue on his way, and the two urged him to stay, and he accepted their invitation. Now, now, now watch this. This is really important because this is important for us in our walk with the Lord, okay? These two who were walking with Jesus, they went from Bible study to personal relationship. You see it? They, they went from getting information to getting relationship. Knowledge is great. We have a saying, right? Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. We have that saying. And knowledge is great. But knowledge doesn't get it. It can't stop at knowledge. It can't stop at knowledge. Uh, knowledge doesn't get it. We have to go past knowledge, go past the knowledge of Jesus to being in an intimate relationship with Jesus. You can't just know of Jesus. You have to get to know Jesus. And that means that you're doing life with him. Jesus cannot be compartmentalized, right? Right? <laughs> Jesus cannot be compartmentalized. We cannot like say, well, Jesus is for this portion of my life, but not for this portion over here. This right here, what we're doing right now, this is Jesus' time. But if this is all we have of Jesus' time, we don't have it. We don't have it. <laughs> You can't just have Jesus' time when you're inside the walls of this building. Jesus doesn't dwell in this building. He dwells within us. And so we have got to take Jesus with us and have Jesus uh, within us and coming out of us and being around us 24-7. It's got to be an always thing. You got to eat with Jesus. You got to sleep with Jesus. You got to get up in the morning with Jesus. You got to go to work with Jesus. You got to go out on, the, out on the town with Jesus. You got to go everywhere and have Jesus with you and have Jesus like permeating all of your life so that when people see you, they see Jesus. I don't know if you guys are getting excited, but I am. It was rolling thunder this morning. It said, oh, man, it feels good to say, man, no way. This is so good, right? You got to enjoy this. I hope you enjoy this. And in the moment of embracing Jesus, they had the opportunity to have their eyes opened to who Jesus is. And I want to know, I want to know, have you said to Jesus, Stay with me. <laughs> because that's what they said. They said, stay with us. <laughs> and I want to know, have you said to Jesus, stay with me? Do you see Jesus with your own eyes? That Jesus is alive. And he lives, not just to be a story on Easter, not just to be a song that we like to sing. Jesus 
lives to be our living Savior. He lives to be in our life. He lives to come into our life and to change us through and through. He lives to prepare us for eternity. He lives so that we too shall live here and now and yes, for all of eternity. Jesus lives and I want to know he is risen. <laughs> you guys did better that time. Told you you were going to have another chance. And so, if Jesus has risen, and he has, now what? Embrace him in your life. Know him. Walk with him. Be his. Don't just have him as savior, but have him as Lord, counselor, leader, ruler, friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus wants to be that with you. He's risen. Now what? Amen? Yeah, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for the message of Scripture. It's so, so powerful, Lord. As we read... As we read and we listen and we, and we see... This tremendous interaction of you and these two on the road to Emmaus. Lord, we learn so much about life. We learn about how life is difficult, but Lord, how you're walking beside us. We learn about how, Lord, you've conquered death and sin and suffering. You went through it all, and yet, Lord, you beat it all, and you rose, and you live. We learn Lord, that we've got to embrace you in our life. We've got to invite you to be our Savior, but also say, stay with us. And so, Lord, we just learn so much as we read through this amazing account of you on the road to Emmaus with these two. Lord, may it not just be knowledge, but may it be something that we embrace and apply and live Lord, I want to pray for anyone here today that, that doesn't know you as their Savior. Maybe they've, they've heard your voice and they've been, they've been tempted, they've been prodded, but Lord, they've, they've not accepted. And I just want to pray right now that they will have heard these words of, your, of the scriptures this morning. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to their heart and, and they're ready and willing to say yes to you today. To embrace you, Lord, for the forgiveness of their sins, for you to be the savior of their life, but also, Lord, for to be that friend that sticks closer to them than a brother, that they will be able to walk through life with you and know, Lord, that you care about all that is taking place within their life, whether it's big or small. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins and raising to life on that third day. 
Now speak to our hearts and touch us and help us to respond accordingly. And we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to um, transition into a time of communion. Um, we have this moment in time each and every um, first Sunday of the month. And to do that, uh, as I was, you know, as I was thinking about that, what I wanted to do is I wanted to take you to a portion of Scripture where Jesus was actually um, contemplating what he was going to go through. He was contemplating the moments and times that his um, flesh was going to be broken and his blood was going to be spilled. And it's one of those those really dear, those dear times that we are privileged to see in Scripture. Um, God could have kept this hidden. He could have not let us know about this portion of Jesus' life. But he revealed this to us, and it's really, it's a tender, special moment in time. That moment in time that I'm t talking about is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so I just want to read just a few scriptures out of that as we prepare our hearts to partake of the communion this morning. Uh, it says in, in Luke uh, chapter 22, verse 39, he, he being Jesus, he went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. It's such a... It's such a vulnerable moment in Jesus' life. You know, he's, he's there in the garden. This is right before his arrest, right before the trial, right before all of what he's going to endure. And what is he doing? He's not sulking. He's not, he's not trying to figure out, you know, how he can escape. He's going to the Father and praying. And as he's praying, he's, he's, his honesty is just oozing out. Father, you know, if it's possible for this to escape me, but not my will, yours be done. An angel comes and strengthens him for what he's going to go through. And he knew that he was going to go through all of that so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And so... In Scripture, it tells us that every time we take of the communion, 
we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back. And so that's what we're doing. We're, we're remembering that time. We're remembering that moment in time in which he was preparing himself for everything he was going to go through. And so I'm going to ask if you'll just take your cup um, and your, your wafer. And I want to, well, there it is. I knocked it on the floor. And I want to just let Matthew lead us through this. The book of Matthew. Actually, we're going to let Jesus lead us through this. So this happened before the garden. And so as Jesus knew what was going to take place and right before the garden when he went to the garden to, to pray for the strength, he was teaching the disciples and he was teaching us this very thing. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. Knowing full well that he was giving his body for us. Thank you, Jesus. And you could peel off the the other part. And then he said. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us drink together. Knowing, knowing full well in that moment in time that his blood was going to be shed for the forgiveness of the sins of the entire world. We remember we remember Jesus and what he did for us. Let's pray and thank him. Thank you Jesus. Lord as we have taken of this bread and this cup we remember your body being broken for us. Your blood being shed for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you made the perfect and ultimate sacrifice for, for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could be redeemed. We remember, Lord, the, <clears throat> the anguish, the, the agony, the, all the, the things that you went through. And you did it, Lord, so that we could be forgiven and so that we could be in relationship with God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you have done. And we remember you today, and we proclaim your death today, thanking you and praising you and loving you. In Jesus' name.